What a, uh, what a privilege today to preach the word to you, to share, to share from, uh, from God's word. Uh, it'll be my last Sunday with you for a, for a few weeks. So uh, if I go a little over, you're just going to have to deal with it. How's that sound? I got a 12-point message with a bonus point. So that's what we've got today. Um, it was so... It, it was great to hear the testimonies. Was, was that a blessing? I mean, I know they were short. I, I said 30 to 60 seconds. and So they were around that. They were short testimonies. But you heard, heard from two sets of men. Um, two men who have been already uh, voted and, and confirmed by our covenant members as elders uh, of this church. Um, more on that a little bit later. And two men who... You just voted on to confirm as deacons in the church. And, and I think it's important to point out this, that they are not elders or deacons because we said they are. These men are elders because God gifted them and called them to that service. God made them elders. God made them spiritual leaders. And we are just confirming what God has already done in them. And then you heard the testimony, and I, I love what Kevin said. He said, I, I'm just going to serve no matter what. That's just what God's called me to do. And you heard Bill say, this is who God has made me. These are the gifts that, he's got, that God has given me. And so that's what I do. And these men have served for the last three years as deacons without any fanfare, without any uh, official vote of the people, without any title. That's what they do because God has called them to do it and they're being obedient to God. So I rejoice that we have these men in this church serving you very well as they do. So I just wanted to say that as we get started. I want to turn your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, and that's what we're going to look at today. And this is going to be a, an unusual message. As I said, I literally have 12 points for you and a bonus point. I was not joking, okay? Um, but each of those are very, they're going to be short points. I'm not going to preach for an hour and a half, don't worry. Um, my wife is looking at me like, prove it, buddy. <laughs> But I, I promise you, I will not, I will not take us uh, into tomorrow. Um, but I could. There's so much to talk about. But what I want to do today is I want to direct my attention to one of our men who today we are going to ordain as a pastor. Chris Bell, you heard his testimony. You've heard how he's, he's um, come to this place ready to serve, ready to be an elder, a pastor, an overseer, um, ready to obey God, and with much trepidation, I don't want to put too, much, too many words in his mouth, but I know that's how he feels about it, because that's how I feel about it, and I know that's how David feels about it too, that there's a seriousness to this calling, and there's a, a great responsibility that's put on us. So I am going to direct my words today in this message towards Chris. I'm exhorting Chris 
in this job, in this, this responsibility and this role as a pastor, as an elder in the church. Now, David's already been ordained as an elder or as a pastor. Uh, that, has hap- that happened several years ago. In fact, um, Bill and Kevin were ordained as deacons in uh, their previous church at Terrace Heights. And so we're not going to reordain them, but, but Chris is coming here as a newbie. Okay, he's coming here, and we need to break him in hardcore today. We're going to really break, and, and we're going to let God's Word break him in, I hope. But as I speak to Chris, and as I, make, as, I, as, I, as I direct these words to him, I want you to listen, because these, all these words are for you too. Maybe in a slightly different context, for you uh, young people, young ladies, um, older ladies, um, other men, all of you, doesn't matter who you are, these words are for you, so I want you to, you know, go ahead and filter them to, to where you are at, and listen, and, and allow God to teach you something and challenge you today as well. So, let's look together at 1 Timothy chapter 4, again, beginning at verse 16, I'm going to read these verses aloud, so follow along with me as I read. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Lord, give us understanding today in it. Help us to know what it is that you would have us to know. Lord, we ask that you be our teacher, that you be our, uh, our, the one who convicts our hearts, that you will be the one who reveals uh, to us the actions we need to take, the beliefs that we need to have, the attitudes that we need to cultivate, the habits um, and the rhythms of our life that we need to, um, to make. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And my water. <clears throat> okay, let's just get right in here. Let's dive right in, Chris. Number one, commit yourself to personal godliness. It all starts there. Everything that you do, 
uh, in life and in ministry starts with that. If you're not committed to personal godliness, and I could put it this way, your, your personal relationship with Jesus, your devotional life, those kinds of things, if you're not committed to those things, then you will not be prepared to do anything else. In fact, whatever else you try to do will be in your own effort, in your own spirit, and it will be a, a, a tower of Babel. It will be a, 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 a city uh, or, a, or a, a home or a house built on sand if you don't commit yourself to listening to God and obeying him. It's all for naught. Look what he said there in verse 7. He says, train yourself for godliness. I love, <clears throat> I love Paul's um, use of athletic metaphors. For some of us, that's a little, that's, that may be a little disconcerting. Some of us are not that athletic. Um, some of us can't even throw paper in the wastebasket, let alone put a ball through a hoop or something like that. And that's okay. But Paul used, I don't know if that Paul was all that athletic either, but he looked around him at a culture that praised athletics, that praised personal um, physical accomplishments, okay? The Greek games were going on, the Romans adopted those as well, and they understood training. And so... When he says, train yourself for godliness, I want us all to think about training for something of endurance. What we're training for is a marathon. And your spiritual life is a marathon. Okay? It is not a sprint. It is not a, a match. You're done with that match and you go on. It is not a test. You can cram for a test. Athletics is not like school. School... You, right? you can write your paper the night before, and you can even get an A sometimes. But that's not how it works in the spiritual life. You cannot cram for God's work. You cram for it, you will not get an A. Okay? You will not pass. Because godliness is something you train for day after day after day after day. So, if you will commit yourself to personal godliness, think of it as a marathon, something that you train for every day. None of us would ever think about signing up for a race. Okay, some of you have, all right. Some of you have signed up for races and thought, oh, I'll just show up. How did that work for you? If you, if you finished it, like we did the pirate plunder last year, um, praise God we didn't die, okay? But we didn't win any medals, all right? And, and Paul says, train or run as if to win the prize, okay? That's what we're going for. We're trying to win the prize. We're trying to, to get to the goal of our salvation, Jesus Christ himself. Train day after day after day for what God has planned for you. Commit to personal godliness. Number two, um, and this is going to, I'm just because some of these are going to just kind of steer off and we're going to look at some other passages of Scripture, but prioritize, number two, prioritize prayer and the Word. 
prioritize prayer and the word. In this letter that Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy is a, is a younger man. He's a protege of Paul. Paul is, is teaching him, training him, writing this letter to give him instruction on how he ought to lead in the church as a man of God. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Right here at the beginning of his uh, instruction to, to Timothy, he says, first of all, this needs to happen. Prayer. Prioritize prayer. He said it again in verse 8. I desire that in every place the men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And then in Acts chapter 6, one of those passages that is very um, formative for us in understanding the difference between uh, a pastor, an elder, and the and a deacon, a servant, uh, a, a man who is devoted to meeting the physical needs of the people. Here in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the apostles say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So I want to exhort you to follow the example of the apostles who are devoted to prayer, who are devoted to the Word. Make sure that no matter what else you're doing, you're praying to God for yourself, and you're praying for your people. And you're devoted to the Word. You are hungry for the Word. You're reading the Word. If your people are reading God's Word, you need to be at least doing what they're doing. If your people spend five minutes a day in the Word, you need to be spending ten minutes a day in the Word. If your people study the Bible two, three, four hours a week, you need to be studying the Bible eight hours a week. You need to lead in the ministry of the Word and prioritize it in your own life. Don't let administrative stuff get in the way. Don't let setting up chairs get in the way of prayer and the ministry of the Word. These things have to be done. They're not unimportant. But your priority, your responsibility is prayer and the word. Number three, take care of your physical body. So for some people, again, going back to the athletic metaphors, are, really? Okay? Huh? What? He says in verse 8, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Now what is he saying? He's obviously making the point that the kind of training, the metaphor that he uses, is going to get Timothy thinking about running and boxing and wrestling and doing those kinds of things, the athletic events that were all around them in that culture. And so for us, we might think of, we might think of jogging every day or doing CrossFit or, or going to the gym or playing basketball and doing those kinds of things. And those are all good things. That kind of training is value. It's valuable for today. But one day we won't be able to do those things anymore. One day we will leave this, this earth and we will go to heaven. And all that you accomplish in athletics will mean nothing to you. Right? But notice what he says. He says it is of some value. Why? Why would it be of value? Lessons learned, it teaches us discipline, absolutely. But also, this is, all, this is what we have. This is what we have to serve in. If your body breaks down 10 years from now, that's the end of your ministry, right? 
If you cannot get yourself out of bed, you can't minister to those people. If you can't walk up a few stairs, you can't minister to the people on the fourth floor. If you don't take care of your physical body, you're going to end up being disqualified for service. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is exactly what Paul says. When he talks about running to get the prize, to exercise self-control in all things, to receive, um, and he says, in the spiritual life, we're receiving not a perishable wreath, but an imperishable. And in verse 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, he's talking about a, a lot of things. There are a lot of implications in that verse. It's not just eating well and exercising or being a certain, having a certain um, body fat composition. He's talking about discipline that runs into every area of life. Um, disciplining himself, keeping his body under control so that he's not sinning. But take care of your physical body so that when you're 80, 90, 100 years old, you're still serving God, serving Him strong in the body that God has given you. Number four, set an example for others. Jump to verse 12 with me. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy was a young man. Uh, but, he says, Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So here's what most young men think when they're in positions of leadership. They think, How can I get the older people to do what I, I want them to do? That's what we think. I say, I'm going to say we, because that's exactly how I thought too. Or how can I, how can I positively influence them? I, it, however you want, to, however you want to, to phrase it, it's all semantics. But we oftentimes think, oh, I'm a young man, I'm in ministry. What, when we tell somebody, oh yeah, I'm an elder in the church, they go, you're, <laughs> you, really, because <laughs> you're a young man, right? Right? That's what we get from... It happened on Thursday afternoon, uh, Thursday mo late morning. Um, but that, that <laughs> what, what Paul says to Timothy is, don't let them despise you. Uh, it's hard to not let them despise you. I'm, 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 I'm still uncertain what he actually meant for, Paul to, or for Timothy to do, except that what he says next is the only thing that we have control of, and that is set the believers an example. So set an example for others. And what does he say in life, in love, in purity? And it was, did he say uh, in conduct, in speech, in faith? You set the example. If you want your people to be humble, you be humble. If you want your people to love others, you love other people. If you want your people to be committed to the community, you commit to the community. If you want your people to go on mission trips, you go on mission trips. If you want the people to pray more, you pray more. Set the believers an example in everything. They are looking to you. They look to me. They see a guy who's probably failing way more often than I should, but hopefully I'm falling with my face to the cross. Set the believers an example in those things. And, 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 a, and, a, and an extension to that is number five. Repent often and publicly. The next few points are actually um, specific ways 
uh, that I want to exhort you to set an example. So number five, repent often and publicly. In this same uh, letter, chapter 5, verse 25, Paul says this to Timothy because he, he's talking about, he's talking about uh, elders who get into trouble. Elders who do what they should not do. Elders who need to be held accountable. And he says this, Good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. What is he saying? You can hide yourself for only so long. Eventually, the true you will come out. Eventually, the world, the church, your community will see who you are. They'll see the evil that's stored up in your heart come out of your mouth and come out of your actions. They will see the good come out of you as well. Okay? These things are inside of you. And what we have to train ourselves to do is repent often. And whenever appropriately, we, we, we repent publicly too. Because we stand in the pulpit. We stand before God's people day after day after day. We lead from the front. And so when we make a mistake, we acknowledge it. And sometimes in humiliating public manner. But God, God has so much grace for us in us. His forgiveness, His mercy, it, it, it extends beyond our repentance. We can't repent enough and out out-repent God's grace and His love and His mercy and His forgiveness. So, repent often and publicly. Number six, though, love your wife and train your children. That's another way that you set the example. In chapter 5 of this letter, he says that overseers, it's another term, a synonymous term for an elder or a pastor, overseers should be, must be, the husband of one wife. That means you are committed to your wife. Um, you love her. You care for her. You're, she is the only woman for you. Uh, you have eyes only for your wife. You have affection only for your wife. I'm going to talk about love for other people in a second. But you understand what I'm saying? There's an exclusivity to your relationship with your wife. You are a one-woman man. You love her. You care for her. You do it in the way that Paul said to to do it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. He said to husbands specifically, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He sacrificed himself for her. He loved his bride. Christ loved his bride. He died for his bride. He put his bride before his own earthly uh, existence. And husbands, we do the same thing. Chris, love Chelsea well. Love her completely. Put her first. Uh, make her a, a, a high priority in your life. But love or train your children too. Discipline them. Disciple them. They are the ones that God has given you to, to raise up, to follow Jesus to love him. So he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Any father ever do that here? Girls, have I ever done that? <laughs> Don't answer that question. But instead, big but here, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Train your children. 
bring them up in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, the, the letter we're looking at today. He talks about managing your own household. And that doesn't just mean, okay, making sure that they, they got rides to school, that they're getting food when they need to get food, that they're going to bed on time, that money's in the bank. Those are good things, and that's part of it. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Teach them, train him. Paul said to Titus uh, in his letter, when he's talking about this very same thing, talking about elders and overseers, he said, they must be believers. Teach them God's word. Te- give them the gospel. Demonstrate the gospel in your life. Demonstrate repentance. Demonstrate belief in God. Demonstrate by the way you live and the way you love your wife that we're here to do God's will. We are here to glorify God. Train your children in that. Number six, or number seven, moving on, love people. This is another way that you set an example. Love people. We talked about this. Um, maybe, maybe I, don't, I don't think we can talk about it too much. We talked about this during your ordination council. Loving people. And I want to, I want to encourage you to em- embrace what Paul says to the Philippians. Remember what he said to the Philippians in in chapter 1, verse 8? And he told them, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And he said, and he said it this way, For God is my witness. he 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 was saying this to the people. And he said, God is my witness. In other words, you know that I love you. You know that I long for you. I desire to be with you. I yearn for you. I have compassion for you. And, and the Philippians, they didn't have to go, okay, well, I guess he, he said it with an oath, so we have to believe him. No, they knew it because he had spent their lives, his life with them. He had loved them. Love people. They are loved by God. And it's with the affection of Christ Jesus. You might wonder, as I have, and part of my testimony is being convicted that I don't love people. And, and here's, what, here's what struck me. When I realized how much God loves people, and how I wasn't, any, I wasn't even in the same city, not alone the same ballpark as Jesus, who laid down his life, who demonstrated his love for us in dying on the cross for other people. God loves people so much. God loves the people in this church so much that he died for each and every one of them. And, and that same Uh, that same atoning death is available for all those outside living in our neighborhoods, living next door to you, living down the street. They need Jesus. And Jesus loves them very much. Love people. And here's another way to do that. Number eight, follow Paul's example. Share your life. Share your life with others. Share your life with your church. Share your life with your neighbors. Share your life with people who are far from God. Here's what he said in First Thessalonians. 
in this letter that's filled with his love and his, and his gentleness and his compassion. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, are you seeing a theme in Paul's life and ministry? He says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. Pause there. Because here's what we do. I'm an elder. I'm a pastor. Good. I'm going to be in my study 40 hours a week. I'm going to be studying Bible and I'm going to stand in the pulpit. I'm going to deliver this amazing message week after week. And what more should I do? I mean, gosh, what? come on. I'm, I'm preaching the word to them. We haven't even gotten to teaching. That's point number nine. Okay, We haven't even gotten there. Paul says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you would become very dear to us. We talk about sharing life. We talk about doing life together. We talk about community all the time at the River Church. Why? Because it's all over the New Testament. Sharing our lives with other people. That's why we're in missional community. It's not because it's something important for, we got to do this. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a job to do. No. We spend time sharing meals together, eating together, studying God's word face to face with one another, and not just over the internet. We, we, we do that because we want to share ourselves with people. Share your life and bring your wife and bring your children along with you on the journey. Share your life with other people. Love them that much. And, and your church will see it. And they will go, there's something about Chris and his family and the way they share their lives and the way they love people and the way he loves other people and the way he's real and he's repenting. Man, that's where we need to be. That's what we need to be all about. Share your life. Number nine. Back to, back to what he says in in 1 Timothy 4, number 9, teach graciously. He says a couple things. Verse 11, he says, command and teach these things. So any of you ever get a little nervous when you see the word command? Anybody? Or is it just me? You see the word command and you think, okay, well, hold on now. Hold on. Hold, hold, hey, I can make my own decisions. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I've got my own life. Um, how dare you tell me how to live? But, but Paul told, tells Timothy to command these things to the people, to teach them to. And so, sometimes as elders and pastors, we go, well, I'm supposed to command these things. So we get into the, into the pulpit, and we are all dressed up. We've got our whole, full kit on. We've got all our battle rattle, and then we just kick the door down. We're like, That's, I'm going to command you guys. I'm going to teach you. All right, I'm going to lay it down for you. I want to invite you to teach graciously. He says in verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That phrase, public reading of Scripture, uh, literally, it's just a, a little translation of it would be the readings. It's just one word. Just one word, the readings. And, and it meant the readings that, that the church did, that the, the synagogue did, every time they gathered together. Every time we gathered together, we have a scripture reading. We don't neglect that. No matter what Sunday it is, somebody's going to stand up here and they're going to read a passage of scripture to you and you're going to go, what does this have to do with anything? And then I'm going to come up and I'm going to read another passage of scripture to you and I'm going to preach and teach on it. But we're not going to neglect the public reading of Scripture. And he says to exhortation and to teaching. He re repeats the same word again. But that word exhortation, 
That word exhortation is an encouraging word. It's a word that means I'm going to teach the people. I'm going to plead with them. I'm going to urge them. I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat them over the head. I'm not going to kick their doors down. But I am going to love them enough to graciously teach truth to them. I'm going to graciously teach truth to them. There was a, uh, there's another, another verse that it's not on your screen, but it's important, um, and I'm going to throw it out here to you. You can put it down in your notes, folks, those of you who are taking good notes. Galatians 6, chat, or verse 1, he says, you, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. And then, oh gosh, he had another, there was another reference that just went in and out of my head, and, it just, and it's not in my notes, so I'll have to skip it. Um, but over and over, and over, here it is, it's in 1 Peter, it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, um, when, he says to, when he says to them um, to be always prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. That's apologetics. That's defending the faith. That's defending the good news. Being ready to say, this is what is true. But he says to do it with gentleness and respect. And I want you to do that every time you get to the pulpit. And, to, and every time you stand up here and teach, you know that what you're teaching is something you're failing at. Every time we go to the Word, and I'm preaching these points, and I'm saying, one, two, three, here's point number nine, teach, and every single one of these I failed at. Every single one. So I have, I have no right to kick down anyone's door here. I want to exhort you, and I want to ex- exhort you strongly, and I want to urge you, and I want to plead with you to do these things, but you know why? It's because I know I need them. I know you need them. I know we all need them. Teach with a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of respect. Teach graciously, and if the tone of Scripture is hard, be a little hard. If the tone of the Scripture is gentle, be as gentle as you can. Teach graciously. But related to that, and I don't want to miss out on this, number 10, make disciples. Because that's really what he's talking about. He's, he's using this teaching and command, these teaching and commanding words for Timothy, but what it means for, for Timothy is that he should be making disciples. So we go back to Matthew chapter 28, and we go back to our Great Commission. That's what it's all about. That's our prime directive. It's the one thing that we have to get right. We can't mess up on this. We can, we can screw up a few other things and we will have to repent of those things and get them right. But if we screw this up and we're not making disciples, we're not doing the work that Jesus told, gave us to do until he comes back. So go therefore and make disciples. And what did he say about that? Teaching them to ob- observe or obey or to keep um, all that I have commanded you. Jesus said, I've taught you a lot of things. Great. Don't just obey them. Teach other people to obey them. Make disciples. And so, do that in, your, in the pulpit. Do that in your missional community. Do that in your discipleship group. Do that day to day, every opportunity you get. When you run into people at the store, when you run into your, your friends and your, and your acquaintances, when you're going, when you're... I, you, know what, you know what I'm saying. In all of those ways, make disciples... 
as you go here and there and everywhere. Look for opportunities to teach, to preach, to lead others to faith in Christ. And then he says this in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning even at verse 11, when, when Paul says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Why are we there to make disciples? Why do we teach graciously and, and with gentleness and respect? We are there, you are there, to equip every single one of the rest of us for the ministry. And so for all of us, hey, yoo-hoo, the deacons and the elders aren't the only ones doing ministry in this church. They're not the ones who are supposed to do all the ministry. You, the church, are supposed to do the ministry. That's who's supposed to do the ministry. That's what Paul says right here. That's who does it. And, and elders, pastors, overseers, and anyone who teaches and preaches and uses their gifts in those ways is there to equip you for that ministry. For the ministry that you have been specifically equipped by the Spirit to do. Why? To build up the body of Christ. And he says this in verse 13, it's not on your slide. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a lot of things that we're supposed to attain to. But that's big time. It means we're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be maturing. We're supposed to be who God has called us to be. That's why we make disciples. And that's why as elders or pastors, overseers, our job is to make disciples. Got to do it. We got to do it. It's got to be our prime directive, the thing that we're obeying Jesus in because that's the work of the church. That's the, or the work that we have been given to do in the church to build them up. Number 11, though, all of these things, <laughs> I hope all of these things are, are a little bit humbling. And, and you'll, you'll know, and just as I've said uh, already, you will fail at these over and over and over again. You'll go out this week and you'll fail at them. And you won't do what you're supposed to do. You will, you, the sins of omission build up so quickly in our lives, it's not even funny. So, number 11, preach the gospel to yourself. What does he say in verse 16? He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. How are you going to keep a close watch? How are you going to guard yourself like that? By preaching the gospel to yourself every day, day after day, maybe even moment after moment. What does that mean? When I fail to love my wife, as I should, and I treat her unkindly, I say an unkind word to her, and I, re- and I, and I come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, uh, well, I'm going to repent of that, right? I'm going to make it right. I'm going to go to her and I'm going to say, I didn't, I didn't um, do what I should have done. I, I'm, I'm going to repent, hopefully, if God, if I'm listening to the Holy Spirit leading me, I'm not just going to wait till the next marriage accountability night to repent. I'm going to do it then and there. I'm going to repent. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make restitution if I need to. But then there's this thing in me that makes me feel guilty. There's this thing in me that makes me feel a little bit ashamed. And, and sometimes we think that repenting and making it right and... And she goes, okay, I forgive you. And we think, okay, good, I'm, I'm okay. 
but we haven't preached the gospel to ourselves. We haven't gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, here I am, a sinner. I, I, I keep messing up. I keep treating my wife the same way over and over and over again. And, and I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need to be reminded of who I am. And so God tells us, you're my son. I love you. I died for you. You are going to mess up. I've forgiven it. I've given you grace. I've given you mercy. I have taken your guilt. I have taken your shame upon myself. And it's not yours anymore. So go in peace. Your faith has made you well. We need to come to Jesus day after day after day and hear him speak those words to us. Remind ourselves of the gospel. That's how we keep a close watch on ourselves. Because we, we personally will screw up over and over and over. And if we, are not, if we are not going back to the gospel for repentance and belief, and, and true belief, belief in who God is and who he has made us to be and what he has done for us, if we're not going back to him over and over and over again, we will let ourselves get out of control. That we, will be, we will be gone. And our teaching as well. Our teaching won't be gospel-centered. Our te- teaching won't be focused on Christ. It'll be focused on all of the knuckleheads out there. We will think... We will think, every time we get into the pulpit, we'll think, why aren't they listening to me? We'll look out at everybody and go, why aren't you doing what I'm telling you to do? Probably because we're not keeping a close watch. We're not preaching the gospel to ourselves. It's a lot easier to preach the gospel to other people, the true gospel of grace and mercy and forgiveness, of identity in Christ, because of what he's done for us and not what we've done for him when we're preaching that to ourselves over and over, day after day. <coughs> Preach the gospel to yourself. Finally, number 12. Related to that, I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 7. Humble yourself before God and others. And this, is, this may be one of the hardest things to do as a pastor or as an elder when you're given a title, when you're given an ordination certificate, and when, you're, when your name is on the marquee or, well... I hope our names are never on the marquee in this church. But you know what I'm saying. You get the email address. You get your, your photo on the website or whatever. And we begin to think that we've arrived somewhere. And what we need to do is humble ourselves like what Peter said to do. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time he may exalt you. But he's not done casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humility, anxiety. Have we had these conversations before? I think we have. It is very easy to be anxious about everything that's going on. You know why? Because we think it all depends on us. And because we think that maybe we're not, we're not living up to it. Uh, we're, not, we're not preaching the way we should. We're not making disciples the way we should. We are not loving others the way we should. We're not sharing our lives like we should. And then we become anxious and we think, oh no, what's going on? What's happening here? Is my ministry falling apart? Is the church going to implode? And we need to be reminded that it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church. And we then can just simply humble ourselves. 
What does that mean? That some, a lot of times that means, guys, I, I can't do this. I can't do it all. Um, I, I'm not good at that. Or you know what? I don't have an opinion on that. You take care of it. I mean, I have, a, I have an opinion. Personally, I have an opinion about everything. But I have had to, to, to learn to, to swallow that and say my opinion doesn't really matter in this case. Humble myself before other people. Humble yourself before God. Let Him take care of the exaltation. There's nowhere ever, we are never, ever, ever commanded anywhere, not even an implication that we ought to exalt ourselves. Never. We exalt God. We exalt His Son Jesus and the work that He's doing. Other than that, we are, we are called over and over and over to, again to humble ourselves. So I want you to do that, and then I want you to think about the fact that in doing so, we put ourselves in an ideal position to be saved by God. It's not on the screen, but here's what Peter went on to say. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We talked about the armor of God before. Put it on, brother. Jesus has, has it there for you. All you got to do is pick it up as you go through the supply line. He's got it right waiting for you every morning. You put on the armor of God. Be sober-minded. Be watchful because the enemy's got you in his sights now. You are a marked man. The banner has, has gone up, and he knows exactly where to press the attack. And he's going to do it against you. He's going to do it against your wife, and he already has, hasn't he? Yep. He's going to do it against your wife, and he's going to do it against your children. Be ready. Humble yourself before God and before others, because you can't do it on your own. You need him, and you need the church. And here's, here is what he, here is the final Bonus point. Here's really where the crux of the matter is. Look back with me at at First uh, Tim, uh, Timothy chapter four again. Right in the center of that passage, he says this in verse ten. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Set your hope on the living God your only hope. It's our only hope, folks. It's our only hope. We set our hope on the living God. You know who the living God is in this letter? It's Jesus himself, who is the Savior of all people now. God the Father saved us too. He certainly has. But Jesus is alive. The reason why we have, we can even talk to a living God, a heavenly Father, and sing songs like, you're a good, good Father. (laughs) That's who you are. Because we know he's a good, good father. He's a living God because Jesus is alive. So we set our hope on that. We put our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Right? We keep our eyes on him. That's the gospel. So set your hope on Jesus. He is the one who saves you. He is the one who saves us all. <laughs>